Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doylestown Presbyterian Church. It's clear these days it's tough to make time. Schedules quickly become busy and calendars suddenly become full. To that end, DPC is excited to now offer this podcast channel, which will allow you to hear a recording of Sunday's sermon from that day's preacher. Whether you listen while taking an evening stroll, driving to and from the grocery store, or anytime you get a free couple of minutes, we hope it can allow for reflection and spiritual growth during your week. We also invite you to visit www.dtownpc.org to learn more about our church, our various ministries, and online giving opportunities. Thank you for tuning in. As I was spending time with the scripture from Daniel, I had dozens of scriptures that were going through my mind of, oh, this is like this, and oh, this is like this, and this is like this. But then I began to focus on the fact that Nebuchadnezzar is driven into a new place. And I thought, who else in scripture has that experience? Absolutely, it is Saul. It happens to both of them that they experience an unanticipated force, and they encounter God in shocking ways. We will never get a chance to see if there were any lasting effects of this encounter upon Nebuchadnezzar, but the effects on Saul, who becomes Paul, were life-changing. More on that in a bit. The book of Daniel and the book of Revelation are books that are called apocalypse, apocalyptic literature. And apocalypse means to uncover, to reveal only what God can show us. The perspective of what it is that we may miss out on our own. And so it is heaven revealing to us a truth that is needed for us. And it is also the story of the ongoing battle between good and evil. There are two themes in Daniel. One is to stay faithful in hard times. That's what we have seen on Daniel and also on behalf of his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the other is this cosmic battle in which the nations of the world, or in particular, a nation wants to be the military force, wants to, through violence, expand and control and suck up the resources of the world for its own personal use. If you are a student of scripture or of history, you may consider that this is the story also of the Roman Empire. But it's also the story of Napoleon, of Hitler, of the British Empire, perhaps of the United States. It is the practice of power over nations and resources. Global power, political, military, and economic. And so these two themes are readily apparent 
throughout the book of Daniel. But in chapters 1 to 4, we are looking only at the story of Nebuchadnezzar and what kind of king he is and what he experiences. And so we start out with the fact that Nebuchadnezzar has been victorious, that he has conquered Judah, that he has destroyed the temple. And so we have people who are brought into Babylon to serve the purpose of the king. Now, one of the understandings in that day, and an understanding that continued all the way up until the 1600s of the Reformation, is that God belonged to certain geographic places. And so, if you were captured, if you lost, that meant your God was weak, and that your God no longer had any power because the God of that land had more power. This is why in the Reformation, in the time of Martin Luther and John Calvin, if you were in a place that Luther prevailed, then you were all Lutheran. There was none of this multi-denominationalism that we have all across our country and now all around the world. But, but God was a God of place. And so now to be in a new place is to risk being defiled to risk not being able to honor God in the ways that you have done before. And so Daniel and his friends are wrestling with this. And the symbol of their wrestling is in the food that's on the king's table. They choose instead to continue the spiritual practice of simplicity. That practice where you eat what is simple not what is rich and luxurious. There's also a question going on here, never recognized by the king, or maybe recognized by the king subconsciously, and that is the question of who will provide. Who gives us life? And Daniel, by eating simple simple food, is saying that God provides for our life. In chapter 2, those who are in power are often fearful. And this is certainly the case of Nebuchadnezzar when he has his dream. What's the fear when you are at the top? That somebody's going to come along and replace you. And so those in highest levels of power are often fearful and controlling and use violence in order to hold on to their power which is the way that Nebuchadnezzar rules. And so when he has a dream, he is so tightly in control that he won't even let anybody know what the dream is. They have to figure out what it is. And so Daniel, as a person of prayer, is not a person of fear in this moment. He reveals the truth that God has given to him. He didn't know what the dream meant, but he knew that God did. And so he listens for a different voice in his life, a voice that helps him focus on God and a bigger story of how the world unfolds. In chapter 3, which we know as the fire, we miss 
we can miss the point that what's at work here is that Nebuchadnezzar has built an idol to represent himself as a demonstration that is, to his way of thinking, a guarantee of his power over all things. And so when they refuse to bow down to this idol, for Nebuchadnezzar, this is a showdown between his power and the power of their God. And so he tries, but he cannot intimidate Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego because they stand firm in the truth that they will worship no other gods. That their God, our God, is a God for the long run. Our God is our God in life and in death, and that our God is a God of resurrection. And so, even with threats to their lives, they will hold on to that truth. Now, the book of Daniel does not start out to be a story of Nebuchadnezzar and his journey of faith, but we are indeed brought to seeing how it is that Nebuchadnezzar begins to have some sense of God. And so he begins to see, first of all, that Daniel and his friends have great knowledge and great wisdom, which is highly respected at that time. And when Daniel can interpret the dream, Nebuchadnezzar gives him credit rather than his God, but saying, okay, you know this because of your God. When the friends survive the fire, he praises the God of Daniel's friends, saying no other God can save in this way. And so we have Nebuchadnezzar dancing around the edges of some kind of understanding and connection to who God is. But the journey into faith and trust is one that takes time and happens in time as we give up our perspective and our ways of doing things in order to walk more deeply in accord with God's ways. In chapter 4, which John talked about last week and which we continue this week, Nebuchadnezzar is told that he must change his ways, that he must repent of the ways in which he treats the poor. He must indeed acknowledge who God is. But we're still back to the same old Nebuchadnezzar. And this Nebuchadnezzar is the one who keeps thrusting his way into the world, thrusting his military might, thrusting his desires and his wills and his belief on people. And he can't break that habit. And so it is 
that he is told. He will become like an animal. He will be knocked down from his vision of safety and security and permanence. He will be knocked down onto all fours. He will be humbled without power and without prestige. And for him, this is a loss of identity because he only knows who he is on the outside and not who it is that God changes and helps us to become on the inside. Our scripture tells us that this was true for Nebuchadnezzar for a a period of seven. We don't know if that's months or years, but seven is a perfect number of completion in scripture. And so there's a period of transformation that's going on in Nebuchadnezzar. I like to think about it in this way, that Nebuchadnezzar was forced into a silent retreat before God. Those of you who engage in some of the spiritual practices, perhaps work with a spiritual director, if you've ever done an eight-day silent retreat, um, which I have done, you are driven to your knees. And you are driven inside to hear all of the voices that speak in you. How often you judge people how often you judge yourself, how often your focus is distracted, and how it is that you want to not be in this intimate presence with God. A silent retreat brings you up against all of your history, And all of those wounds that you have not yet been ready to face, it brings you into a place of compassion that God has for you. It brings us into a place of sensing the deep, deep, deep outpouring of God's love. But it is fragile in there. And so God is tender, and God is precious to us. Chapter 4 is Nebuchadnezzar's letter that he has written. And the letter begins as his testimony about what God has done in his life and on his behalf. It's the story of how God took away his position and his power. It is the story of how he began to see his sins, the ways in which he brought harm and brokenness not only to himself but to the world. And so it is he emerges with a different understanding of what it means to be in relationship with God. We have his words, which we will hear in a moment. But what we have with Paul, 
We get to watch the unfolding of who it is that Paul becomes as he evermore trusts God and to be about the purpose for which God has created him in the world. Paul has been persecuting Christians and he begins to see and know that Jesus is the way. After this period, this three days of blindness that we heard about, most scholars tend to think that Paul went into a three-year period of seclusion in order to rethink his whole life, to reread the scripture, to re-reflect on who God is and what God is up to in the world. And for Paul, the story is no longer about power of those new formed Christians who are threatening Judaism. For Paul, the story becomes one of inclusion and expansion. That the mercy and grace and compassion and welcome of God is for the whole world. And so he preaches to the Gentiles. He ministers to them. He advocates on their behalf that they might be engaged fully, embraced in the life of Christ and in the life of the church, that they might be baptized into the Holy Spirit. Paul travels over 4,000 miles, often on foot, to go throughout the whole empire to spread the news of who Jesus Christ is. And he will give it up. He will give up his life for Christ, which is indeed the final outcome of the compassion and love that he has shared. So where do we turn in these two stories. We turn to the fact that Nebuchadnezzar did nothing after hearing the dream and being warned. He did nothing to change his life. He did nothing to change his focus. He didn't take up new spiritual practices. He didn't move into a life of prayer. He didn't move into a life of study. He didn't move into anything more than everything he'd already been doing. Paul, on the other hand, made a plan. We overcome difficulties. We face challenges in our life because we have an ongoing relationship with Christ because we have turned to him over and over and again and have found him present and found that we can trust him. And so when that moment of trial comes to us, we can respond. That's about making a plan. That's about changing our focus. I found this book among the books for the children's ministry pastor, Getting It Together, Spiritual Practices for Faith, Family and Work by Carol Warheim. I highly suspect that this book is in the church library, and I imagine that at one point a growth group followed this book. And I want to recommend this process of beginning to think about your own personal and your family's mission statement. How will we spend our time? 
How will we spend our money? What will our values be, and how will we get there? The questions in here are deeply reflective, but you can take it bit by bit and piece by piece. For the invitation to Nebuchadnezzar, actually the push for Nebuchadnezzar, was to examine his values, to do the work to ensure justice. And God keeps inviting us into that work as well, to demonstrate our commitment to him at home, at work, and in our community. We close with these words at the end of chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar praises God. He ends his letter by saying, When that period was over, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. I blessed the Most High and praised and honored the one who lives forever. For his sovereignty is an everlasting sovereignty, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All of the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does what he wills with the host of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can stay his hand or say to him, what are you doing? At that time, my reason returned to me and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom. My counselors and my lords sought me out. I was reestablished over the kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are truth and all of his ways are justice and he is able to bring low those who walk in pride. The book of Daniel is a reassurance that God is present in the hardest of times. It is also good news that people can change, that we can change our focus. We can determine the nature of our time, and we can grow ever more deeply in our love for Jesus Christ and our demonstration of that love always and in all places. Amen. Thank you for joining us on your journey of faith. Don't forget to check out www.dtownpc.org to explore all the ways DPC strives to be a bridge for Christ and a beacon of his love.